Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hello? Hey, how's Moses? Uh, he does not sleep a ton at night. It's just like having a human baby. Yeah, I really feel that I can claim the parent experience as my own. Yeah, you now, you now, you now know exactly what it's like to be a parent. Mm-hmm. So, w- what are you gonna say when people are like, you know, oh, kids? Are you gonna go? Tell me about it. Yeah, that's where I I burst in, and whatever they mm-hmm. were saying, I just start talking over it with my right. own experience. I mean, I do want to get him into a good. Uh, college, yeah. Are you are you starting to to plan for that? You know, it starts. Oh, we, you got to get him into a good. Uh, yeah, we started you know, well before he was conceived. Daycare, right? Yeah, got him on the waiting list or whatever. Um, get him all the yeah. right bones to chew, all of the right pull toys. Right? Did you play him um, Mozart or whatever? Yeah, puppy Mozart, um, which is. Ah, this is silly. I didn't do any of this. As I understand it, having a child is more difficult than having a puppy. <laughs> if you can believe it. Yeah. Um, um, so, this was a really bad preamble to what we are going to talk about today, which is human people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And school. Yeah. So, one of the questions we've gotten most is about school. And all levels of school, from elementary school up to college. Obviously, most schools have closed during this, and there's a big question about the fall. Yeah. And one of the reasons we haven't tackled this yet is because we, (laughs) like so many other things in the pandemic, it's a big question mark. It is the biggest question mark to me. Uh, Why is it the biggest one to you? Like, you know, I sometimes am asked, to do interviews on TV and radio and places, and they, they'll just be like, we're going to ask you about coronavirus. And mm-hmm. I'll say, sure, I'll come on and answer questions. And usually I have, I know something about whatever mm-hmm. they ask me. I would hope. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't say things I don't know, but I can, I can contribute something to, mm-hmm. you know, a conversation. Mm-hmm. On the, the school question, when I've been asked that, I just kind of say, I have no idea. Why is it the hardest question? I mean, everything in our society is affected by this. So why is it the one that's like, that stumps you? It is in this really interesting space where you have the group of people who are at very low risk of personally being harmed, but who it seems still can be carrying and spreading the virus. So... Mm -hmm. There's that in that Mm -hmm. there's a second level layer of who's being put at risk here. And there's also just the fact that if we don't have schools, it changes the whole society that is built around the fact that kids are at school so parents don't have to take care of them. Yeah. I don't know. Like, (laughs) I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know people are trying to make it happen. Right. So 
this is going to be a we're doing sort of school week school on the pod. Mm-hmm. This week we're going to answer a couple of questions about kids and schools and colleges. Um, which right today we're going to start with colleges, and we're starting with that in part because we have a little more data on that because some colleges and universities are actually beginning to make plans and try things. Which one do you think is getting it right? Well, I don't know. I don't know anything. That's why we're going to call Adam. <laughs> you don't know anything, but you have a lot of opinions. Correct. Okay, um, got it. Yes, opinions, but no information is kind <laughs> of my thing. Okay, so we're going to call Adam Harris. Oh, Adam. Uh, we've talked to him before. It's been a while since we talked to him. He he covers higher education and politics for The Atlantic. He's actually been looking at this. He has opinions and information. And a kid. And incidentally, two children. Two, I'm sorry, two. Jeez. Hey. Hey, Adam. How's it going? Good. Are you in your closet? I am not. Um, I'm actually in Hampton, Virginia, at my mother-in-law's house, and oh. uh, she has a separate office. Ooh. Yeah, so. Wow. Yeah, moving on up, right? <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Um, so Jim just got a dog and yeah, a puppy, and he is just getting his first peek of what it's like to care for another living being. But you have a lot of experience <laughs> with this already. How are yeah, you doing yeah. with that? It's miserable. Um, really? But yeah, so we have two kids um, and there is really no substitute for actual daily childcare. And it makes like working a harder thing. Um, but I feel like we're managing as just like everyone kind of has to do, you know, life throws your curveballs and, you know, you, you just lean into them, take the hit and uh, take your base. Are you are you supposed to lean into a curveball? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like maybe if it's a left-handed pitcher, the curve would come. And you want to get hit you. by the pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, In any um, case, <laughs> we're calling you about colleges. What are, it, does college exist anymore? <laughs> yeah, yeah. College exists, but it's in like this weird hybrid existence. You know, a lot of schools always had online learning, but um, what colleges are facing right now is kind of bringing kids back into this perfect situation for transmission. Colleges are, are kind of created to keep people close. And now you're trying to introduce the idea of social distance, trying to introduce the idea of space and, and, and limited contact into that space that's supposed to be built for close contact, a lot of interaction. So it's it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And there are a lot of people who think that it's an impossible thing to do and that leaders are kind of deluding themselves and their ability to do this at, at the scale that they'll need to by you know, August. Yeah. Well, what are some of the plans that are being laid out at colleges? So basically everything is contingent. Uh, I think college leaders are forecasting and broadcasting this idea of certainty that you know, we're going to be on campus in the fall and, and we're going to start the semester earlier so that we can end the semester sooner and students can go home for Thanksgiving break and stay home um, until January comes around. It's so much time at home. 
it, it really is. Um, but they're putting plexiglass in different places. They're talking about, you know, maybe we only bring our freshmen and sophomores to campus and, and juniors and seniors stay away for a longer period of time. I think kind of the broad sweep of it is that they don't know what the virus will actually look like by August. They don't know what the numbers will look like. They don't know their testing capacity by August. So they're kind of contingently planning for any possible range of outcomes from actually being on campus to a remote semester similar to the one that we saw for the second half of this spring. So there are some colleges in the U.S. that are saying we're going to largely be on campus with some contingencies for depending how things look and others that are saying we're going to be largely remote. Yeah, essentially. So you have like the Cal State system that says we're going to be remote for the most part. We're, we're just going to be remote and that's, that's how we're yeah. going to do the semester. And then you have like Notre Dame and Duke and, and places like that that are like, we're still going to be on campus. And in fact, you have college football players going back already and, and they're already on campuses. Wait a minute. Colleges are making <laughs> exceptions for football players? <laughs> <laughs> Remarkable, right? Um, yeah. And one of the things you've seen very quickly is that a lot of student athletes are testing positive for coronavirus. Hmm. Um, so at Clemson, uh, at Clemson, 23 players tested positive. Um, at LSU, uh, a quarter of its roster tested positive. Um, so you're kind of seeing a preview. And, and if you think about the football team, these are some of the, the healthiest students right. on the campus. Yeah. Right. Wait, so what are these Colleges that have seen, you know, where they ha that have this early data about a lot of their students having coronavirus, are they reversing course? Are they are they changing their plans? No. Um, no. So uh, LSU's yeah, LSU's uh, uh, senior athletic director uh, told Sports Illustrated that um, it's it's not surprising that we're seeing a rise right now, and and that it's a pandemic. So we shouldn't be shocked that we're seeing these numbers, which which is true. But yeah, all of that is true. Follow up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the follow up of okay, so does this change your plans going forward? Mm -hmm. And and they still kind of stick to this sort of wait and see. I mean, theoretically, colleges are really kind of distilling down what's essential here. Many places have deemed football essential. Why? <laughs> it, it, it doesn't boil down exclusively to a matter of the bottom line, but it has a lot to deal with it. Um, you know, there there are a handful of colleges that make a lot of money from football. I mean, most schools that, that have college sports aren't going to make money from those sports. Um, but there are some schools where they can make upwards of $100 million for one football season. So they're kind of incredibly reliant on that revenue, yeah. which um, is probably a, a bad business model um, to be kind of relying on that, on that money, but it is the reality. I mean, and, and just thinking about that, that revenue question, um, for a lot of schools, reopening is kind of a question of what kind of money will we be losing if we were to stay online for the next semester? Is the idea that they wouldn't be able to charge the same tuition? I don't know that it's, they wouldn't be able to charge the same tuition because there's a lot of thought that the tuition is actually just going towards the um, the education. So that's covering your professors. That's covering your um, the the actual learning of college and the mm -hmm. fees and that the the room and board. That's what covers the rest of it. And and in some places, you know, campus housing accounts for you know twenty five percent of the college's revenue. 
And it's kind of forcing colleges to reassess whether that's been the best business model. I mean, they've they've been thinking about that for years, but the pandemic kind of threw it into sharp relief that, oh, wait, maybe we have an incredibly flawed business model. I mean, what were the, (laughs) what were the most, for you, you've been covering this forever. What were the most interesting pre-existing questions about higher education before the pandemic? Well, people were, were very concerned about how reliant a lot of colleges were on tuition fees. I mean, I, I wrote a story in 2018 that was called, uh, it was the incredibly metal title, Here's How Higher Education Dies. Um, and, uh, strong, you know, strong I, positions. I, See, I knew you would have strong. both. I told Jim you would have both information and opinions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's basically, you know, when you're looking at the sweep of higher education, I talked to um, a, a higher education futurist named Brian Alexander. And, you know, he, he's been kind of looking at the numbers and he saw that enrollment figures were dropping. And so with that enrollment drop, that means that there's less of a pool for colleges to choose from, meaning that those colleges that are tuition dependent are fighting even more to get those students who are able to pay tuition. And fewer mm-hmm. students are able to pay the full freight tuition now. Um, so, so you're looking at this situation where you have, you have a lot of small colleges, right, that are in rural areas that have fewer than, you know, 2,000 students that have endowments that are less than $50 million. And they are trying to figure out ways to continue sustaining. So basically, the, the thought was that there is going to be a large proportion of those types of institutions with those qualities that might not make it through the next 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic comes and it kind of accelerates and emphasizes those vulnerabilities that those institutions already had. Are um, there any projections on like how, I mean, I've seen projections on like how many small businesses might close in the next year or two. Are there projections on how many colleges might close? So there have been, there have been kind of ranging projections from like, you know, dozens to hundreds. But um, I think the one thing where you, I feel like people should always kind of exercise caution is that higher education is incredibly resilient. So you don't think this is like the end of a high percentage of colleges in this country? I don't think this is the end of a high percentage of colleges, but I do think that colleges are deluding themselves about what the fall will actually look like and their ability to contain anything that might happen on their campus. What about the teacher, the old professor, who is this venerable name, the reason that everyone comes to the this university, and also they happen to be 80 years old and not in the greatest of health? You know, because that's who's really at risk, highest risk of... of dying from this disease, is it possible that teacher is remote and the students are sitting in the classroom? That is a possibility. And and some schools have offered waivers um, for faculty who have health issues that that they can teach remote. But I think you even have to look beyond the faculty to the staff, to the people who are going to be tasked with cleaning um, classes in between each time students are in there um, who are who are tasked with increased cleaning of the residence halls who are you know having to having to do things and added responsibility probably for um, the same amount of pay and now they're consistently being thrown into this situation where their health is also being put at risk 
Yeah. Um, so it's in a way kind of mind boggling that we're here. Yeah. Um, that we're, you know, nearing the end of June and, you know, you're seeing spikes in cases across the South where colleges have reintroduced football players to the equation um, where they realize that they have little control over how the virus spreads and they still have a thought that they will be able to control what happens in the fall. Here's a question. I mean, have there been ideas on what education could look like for the next couple of years that seem to rationally account for the uncertainty that we have about the pandemic, but continue to like find ways to actually do the important work of education? I mean, there has been a model of how to adjust to to this very kind of reality for years. And that's kind of what community colleges have done, um, where they have a mix of online classes and, and in-person classes, um, where students don't always and typically don't live on campus. It was kind of this hybrid model already. That's why a lot of community colleges were able to adjust very quickly when, when, when America kind of came to the collective realization that, oh, this is a serious thing. Mm-hmm. Do, uh, this is the question I have. This seems like a disaster. Mm-hmm. And like, we know what's going to happen. Like when they bring people back to on, on ca- onto campuses and you have people living together and going to school together, it just seems like a disaster. Mm-hmm. Am um, I wrong? No, I, I, I don't think so. Um, and I think there's there have been a lot of colleges that have said we're going to get our students to sign pledges that say, um, you know, we're we're you know for for this next 6 months um you know you're going to go to school you're going to get this uh you're going to get this education and and you're just going to you're going to accept some of these these new restrictions that we've put in place for you um we've we we would like you guys not to have parties we would like you guys not to do this um not to do that <laughs> and and without a kind of enforcement mechanism there uh i i don't see how that actually works i mean Colleges had a difficult time stopping underground parties um, before the pandemic. I don't know what kind of materially appears out of nowhere to help them stop underground parties with the pandemic or, or even students partying normally. Yeah. I mean, there have been some schools that have said that, that we're going to pause fraternity activity. Yeah. Um, but, you know, underground frats have been a thing forever. So. Yeah. So this should not be happening. Well, Catherine... It seems that's a leading question. Yeah. It is a quick, like, well, why is it happening if it should obviously not be happening? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there are, there are, yeah, there are a couple of reasons, including financial, including um, the university, the, the president of the University of Notre Dame argued that, that they had a moral responsibility to come back. So basically the argument was that as an institution of higher education, um, they had a responsibility not to cower and fall victim to their circumstance. And, and the way to do that was, was through their moral responsibility to educate people on campus. What? And, and he wrote about this in the New York Times. This is very um, confusing. And <laughs> it's all, um, and I think it, it gets back to, as I mentioned, college presidents are deluding themselves. 
by arguing that that they know exactly what the fall will look like by arguing that they kind of have some control over what will happen in the fall because the reality is that they don't and you know you have the presidents who are who are just kind of honest about it like this is what we are planning on this is what we're thinking about um there are a lot of very difficult um considerations that are going into this i talked at length with um, Jonathan Alder, the president of James Madison University, and and he kind of said point blank, like, you know, we don't control what this virus is going to do. We know that. Yeah. Our colleague Derek Thompson has laid out this idea for me before that college is giving people three things, almost in equal parts. The traditional mm-hmm. college experience in the United States, the four year staying over, you know, the whole deal like in the movies. Mm. Um, (laughs) A third of it is what you learn, uh, the actual practical knowledge that you take away, knowledge, insight, Mm. wisdom, whatever you want to call it. A third of it is your social network that you build, uh, mentors Mm. and people who write you letters of recommendation, as well as peers and people you keep in touch with as friends or, you know, um, professionally for the rest of your life. And a third of it is kind of what's on your, CV that you have a degree that helps you get a job. Um, focusing really on the knowledge, insight, wisdom bit of it, where you might not mm-hmm. have the the parties and stuff and the office hours meetings that really build a rapport that give you a strong social network. But knowledge, insight, wisdom. Should more colleges be focusing on on, on that element of it specifically? The answer is probably. Um, there are a lot of things that, that colleges have to reconsider about what their fundamental purpose is. Um, and if the purpose is to educate students, then maybe there should be a reconsideration of how that is being delivered. Yeah. Are, are your kids going to go to college, do you think? Or have you given up on that because of the virus? I mean... You know, I, I I still believe in colleges. I think that colleges are incredibly resilient, and you know they've they figured out a way through innovation time and time again. So I, I kind of have no doubt that that colleges will be there. What college will look like in twenty years, um, or, or I guess oh gosh, sixteen years, yeah, uh, um, is a little more in question. It'll probably be all on TikTok, and it'll cost $4 million a year. <laughs> Maybe mine will come back. Now you're talking crazy. <laughs> now you're talking crazy. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, thank you. This is, this is helpful. Absolutely. Talk to you Bye. Bye. It feels like what's happening at colleges and universities is very similar to what's happening in a lot of other industries and areas where I think my worry is that the fact that we're not acknowledging fully this situation's badness and uncontrollability means that we are not taking steps to actually make life better. And we're forcing ourselves into these situations where it's like either we go back to life as normal and we have a devastating death toll or we don't have life at all and the economy is tanked and that's a disaster too. What is it? What is stopping us from moving forward in 
to find a different way to do these things? Or do you think we are? It's just hard. Mm. Part of the challenge is that, like you said, it's going to be a disaster or it's going to, I forget the word that you use, catastrophe, horror show. Um, (laughs) I think what's really interesting here is it actually probably won't immediately look that bad because you have mostly young, healthy people and it'll be really hard to trace this toll to the people in the college town who are suddenly, the town was quiet all summer and then suddenly it's flooded with students as college towns are and so much of the economy there is contingent on those students going into the businesses and spending their money that um, it's the college towns and the people that's going to bear the burden of this season. It will be really hard to disentangle exactly how much of the death toll in any specific college town was due to the reopening. Right. Okay. Well, so these are the issues with uh, universities. On Wednesday, we're going to talk about young kids and some of the issues there, Uh, but we'll keep talking about education in general. Um, Just a little... FYI for listeners, if you're interested, Jim is actually, he's too embarrassed to talk about it because he's shy, strangely, but he is going to be doing a digital live event with two other Atlantic staffers, Caitlin Tiffany and Paul Baseglio, about social distancing summer. You'll be able to interact. You'll be able to send your questions directly to Jim. Um, Feel free to ask him about his showering habits, his puppy um, or why any of the many he, more important things, or or things that are more important. Sorry, not um, to correct. I appreciate you doing this because yeah, I'm bad at self promotion. Uh, so go to theatlantic.com/slash/live to find out more about the event if you want to tune in. This show was produced today by Alvin Melleth. You can write us at social distance at theatlantic.com. And the best way to support all of the Atlantic's journalism is with a subscription. You can do that at theatlantic.com/slash/support us. Okay, I gotta go. Thank you, Catherine. Bye. Okay, bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyond zero.